Amen, amen, amen. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to the podcast like of Revival Life Church, moms, a spirit-filled a multicultural moms. church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor moms. Carl Thomas, you can find us Mother's on the web at revivallife.church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 14. We're in our message series, The Life. The Life. Thank you so much, Mike. Brandon. Hallelujah. Um, we, 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 we have a challenge as a church. We have a challenge that we have a message that is everlasting and eternal. But we're preaching it to a very temporal society. We're preaching it to people who are looking for their daily fix, but we're talking about eternal truths. And so we have a battle that is warring against us. Are we going to go the way of the world or are we going to go the way of Jesus? Good job there, uh, 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 Michaela. And uh, I, I, uh, we're, we're exploring in this message series, you know, Jesus, he died and he rose again from the dead. It's kind of a big deal, right? Yeah. Kind of a big deal. But, but what, 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 why? Why did he rise from the dead? Why didn't he die and just ascend? And why didn't he just go to his father? Why, why, why did he rise again? And um, what does it mean to have the abundant life that he promised us? It has to look like something or it doesn't really mean anything. And it's got to look like something different than the world or the world would not have murdered him. And so we want to dig in the scriptures today to try to figure out what is this, this life that Jesus has for us. We have been talking week after week about avoiding the algorithm that is trying to program our lives and be transformed to the image of Christ. But if we get it wrong, we're, it's just going to be another work that doesn't actually produce anything. So let's, let's take a look in the scriptures. We're in John chapter 14 today, starting in verse 15. It'll be on the board if you haven't brought your Bible. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible, as I always do. Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. How long? Forever. All right. That is, the Holy, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it did not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Amen. amen, 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 amen. From the time we're born, from the time you leave the womb, you're faced with a question. How do you live a good life? I mean, nobody, nobody, nobody as a child says, you know what, I just think I'll grow up to be, I don't know, a knucklehead. Maybe I'll just be an addict. Maybe, maybe I will just, I don't know, figure out how to live in a way that I just suffer my entire life. Nobody does that. At the same point, we say we want a good life. Amen? But we don't know exactly how to live that good life. And that begs the second question, what does a good life even look like? 
what, what, what would constitute a good life? Give me one second. Josh, if you could switch my lights or if you could switch my lights, I would certainly appreciate it. What does a good life even look like? And we all face this question. We have to come up with a definition of what a good life is. And without knowing it, we're being pushed and prodded by forces with an agenda to answer the question, what is a good life? There are people who make their fortune off of answering what a good life looks like for you. And they are programming an algorithm leading you down a path that you may have never chosen to answer the question of what a good life is. Without knowing it, we just get funneled into somebody else's definition of a good life without even knowing where we're going. And unfortunately, the church has infantilized the world. We preach a gospel to the world of control and fear instead of empowerment and love. Instead of trusting the Holy Ghost of God to lead the world into the way of truth, there seems to be a new trend out there today that we will legislate a good life or we will, uh, we will condemn or separate or somehow repress people into a good life. And it is not the way of God. Anybody hear what I'm talking about? Without knowing it, we get neither what God has for us nor what we truly need. How do we get the life that Jesus died for? In every area of our life, there are two competing philosophies. In every area of business, in every area of society, there are two competing philosophies. They're broken down basically into conservative and liberal. Now, I know when I say that, most of the time we think politics. And that's the easiest place to see the conservative and the liberal battle. We see it in our politics in America between Republicans and Democrats. But it's also, it's in theology. In theology, the conservatives are, are called the orthodox folks and the liberals are called the progressives. The orthodox want to hold to the old way that we've always read things and we've determined them to be true. The progressives want to re-examine everything we've ever known to see what might be true. We see it in economics. Conservatives say free markets create uh, wealth and it creates innovation where the liberals say only a well-regulated market can prevent sin and exploitation and greed. Conservatives are terrified because the world they knew is no longer here. Liberals are railing because they want to throw away everything and start over. This is the world we live in. In every area of society, there are groups fighting for power without caring about the people they say they are advocating for. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in the book, The Death of Expertise. Put it up if you would, please. Here's what Timothy Thomas Nichols said. There are, these are dangerous times. Never have so many people had so much access to so much knowledge and yet have been so resistant to learn anything. This is what our society is today. Nobody thinks they need to learn anything. And unfortunately, we see it in the church. If you read the Bible, have you ever read anybody in the Bible and thought, hmm, that guy got it figured out? Did you ever see a disciple and said, ah, that disciple has it figured out? 
you look at the life of the disciples, and as they get older, the more they recognize they know nothing. Paul started out thinking he knew everything. And then he thought, well, Jesus knows a little bit more than me, and I, I have some sin. And by the end of his epistles, he's like, I am the greatest sinner who has ever lived. That's someone who's growing in Christ. That's the humility that moves us forward as a society. This is the humility that moves us forward as a church. People who are humble enough to learn. Speaking of learning, here comes a plug since I'm on the mic. I am starting a, a foundations class. It is on... What day of the week is it? It's on Tuesday nights. Uh, uh, it's going to be online and it's starting the last week of May. I plan all these things. That's why I can just recite it to you off the top of my head. The last week of May on Tuesday. What time, you ask? 7.30 is when my group starts. It's a foundations class. So if you're new to uh, Jesus or you're coming back, or you just never really got taught really what the foundations of our faith are, join us online. Amen? Amen. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Free plug. I'm going to put that out there. But this is, a, this is, this is, this is the, the hallmark of postmodernism. Uh, postmodernism says, you know what? Uh, there was a time where we, everybody believed the same thing, and then modernity started, and modernity said, hey, wait a minute. Are, are we sure that we know what we think we know? Let's re-examine these things to make sure we believe the right stuff. That was modernism. And post-modernity, what we're in now since about the 50s, 60s, 70s, says, well, nothing matters. Nothing is true. We don't know anything. Nobody knows anything. We don't need to trust anybody. Actually, what we are in now is radical self-determination. Radical self-determination where everybody thinks they're an expert in everything. Have you been around these people who think they're an expert in anything and, and you know that they know nothing? Have you been there? Is there anything more frustrating than talking to somebody who knows nothing about what you're an expert in and they want to give you advice? I know you're thinking of your mom instantly, right? I know that's the first, that's the, but it's Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day, so we won't go there. I uh, remember asking my daughter if she knew where something was, and she said to me, did you check the garage? I said, oh, no, 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 I already have a wife. I don't need someone else asking me where I should look for the thing. I'm asking if you know where it is. You could just say, no, I don't know. That is a perfect, no is a reasonable, it's a full sentence. It's a complete answer. Do you know where it is? No. Those of you who battle with uh, 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 people pleasing, and someone asks you to, say that, to do something, I'll give you a full answer. Ready? A full sentence. No. Can you come and do that? No. Why not? Because I can't. That's your answer. That's the whole answer right there. And that's okay. Right? Like, but see, okay, I'm going to stay on my message here. I had a, I had a conversation like this with someone and, uh, I, and, and, and I, had to, I had to let them know, um, yeah, I understand what you're saying may be logical for you, but I, I didn't ask, I didn't invite you into my life. You live you, I'll live me, right? I know, I, I, and that wasn't popular, but, but radical self-determination for yourself don't mean you get to decide my life. You hear what I'm saying, yeah? We, we get to choose who speaks into our lives. Choose well. And so we all have like this, like they, the people making money off us 
want us to believe that we made the decision to choose their product. That we're self-made somehow. That somehow we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can overcome all our problems. And it is a fantasy and it's a lie. When, 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 you, when you enter vocational ministry, for those of you who feel called, uh, what you are doing is you are surrendering your livelihood to God. What I have done for a living is I get up here every week and I speak. I speak what I believe God has told me, and my entire family is counting on donations. That's how I pay my bills. I radically trust God for finances. This is, this is, this is my life. So I'm not preaching some foreign thing that I, don't, I don't, that I don't really live. This is what I have lived for, I don't know, 15 years now. I radically trust God for my provision. Now, just because you're not in vocational ministry doesn't mean you don't need to radically trust God. You know that for sure. We're all trusting God for our nation, for our kids, for the well-being of our neighbors, that we get our, the healthy um, um, reports from the doctor and that when the doctors treat us, they're treating us well. We all have to exercise faith. But in this society of radical self-determination, what we don't recognize what we're doing is we are disembodying ourselves from the community that we need. Nobody came up on their own. The business leader who says, you know, I, I, built this, I built this company by myself and now I have a thousand employees. And I'm thinking, that's funny. I think my tax dollars paid for the schooling that taught your workers how to learn English and how to write and how to operate machinery and how to show up on time, how to be part of a society. I, I believe that my tax dollars paid for the road that take your products on, on, on to the stores. I believe that my tax dollars pay for the police who hopefully enforce laws and keep your business safe. You see, we're all interconnected in some way or another. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's the, the governor, was the governor of California, uh, actor, he was a bodybuilder, Mr. Olympia. Uh, he was constantly being asked, since he, he moved to America uh, with $20, literally $20 and a duffel bag. He came here from Austria with absolutely nothing. And so he talked about how people regularly ask him as a self-made man, how did you do it? What, what business advice would you give for someone as a self-made man? What's the blueprint you would give us to come up? He'd say, I'm not a self-made man. I got a lot of help. He says, it's true that I grew up in Austria without plumbing. It's true that I moved to America alone with just a gym bag. And it's true that I worked as a bricklayer. But before I ever swung a sword in Conan the Barbarian or won the Mr. Olympia, it's not true that I'm self-made. Like everyone, to get where I am, I stood on the shoulders of giants. My life was built on a foundation of parents, coaches, teachers, of kind souls who lent couches or gym back rooms where I could sleep, of mentors who shared wisdom and advice, of idols who motivated me from the pages of magazines. I am not a self-made man. None of us are self-made. And we want to feel like we don't need anybody else, but we have to recognize that is the mark of an unhealthy soul. That is the mark of a soul that has not yet healed and been able to trust other people. That is a soul that is trying desperately for the validation of independence that we never find in Christ. We live the lie that we can, we can navigate this life on our own. And it's simply not true. 
We live the lie that we can navigate conflict on our own. It's simply not true. Instead of protecting our interconnectedness, we protect our own opinion. This is what we see in the conservative liberal battle. And as election season comes, you're going to hear this from your pastor more and more again. They're all lying. They are all lying. Do not get worked up by what they're saying. None of them are telling the truth. Can, can, can we just agree on that? Some are lying more than others. Some, some lies are more evil than others. But there is none righteous but Jesus. Their very tactic is to divide where Jesus came to bridge division. Have you noticed that the worst fights that you have are with people that you love the most? Have you noticed that? Isn't that funny? Why do you think that is? It's because those are the people we trust the most. And we are terrified that we're going to be disconnected from them. And we think our connectedness is based on agreement. Where our connectedness is based on love. You see, when we can bridge the divide between the conflict of ideologies, we can then connect with people as humans. Again, as we enter into election season, I want you to be listening very carefully. What people will do is dehumanize people they want you to hate. And instead of, instead of connecting to those they dehumanize, they want you to connect to them. Does that make sense or do I need to explain it? Yeah. See, we're all created in the image of God. The billionaire who is abusing his power was created in the image of God. The immigrant who's uh, violating immigration laws, made in the image of God. And as soon as a political party can get you to look at someone as no longer created in the image of God and hate them, they can now fill in the gap. They can give you a life goal, a life direction that serves their purpose instead of God's. This is why cliques hate people. This is why cliques need to hate people. Because you need an enemy to separate from and join to them. This is the work of the Satan, though I will teach that in a couple weeks. This is how God was talking to Isaiah. When Isaiah, now, now, now I want you to hear this. Isaiah was the prophet. Now, today everybody's a prophet, right? Like everybody, everybody, I, I mean, you get on TikTok and you see people prophesying. And I just, I desperately, like, I desperately want to reply to these things. You ever want to just tell people, like, I have a whole TikTok series. Has anybody seen it? Like, God didn't say that. I, I, I put up videos of prophecies, and I just say, hey, welcome to the series where I tell you God didn't say that. God didn't say that. And that's the end. That's it. That's it. And I just get prophecies, and I know they're false, and I just play them, and I say, welcome to the series where I tell you God didn't say that. God didn't say that. And, and, and I will... Um, everybody's a prophet these days and no one is allowed to say, hey, God didn't say that. But that, that's, that's just not, it's neither biblical, it's not true, and, and it's not pastoring to let people think that false prophecies are prophecies. Oh, I'm trying to stay, I'm trying to stay focused right now. I'm trying to stay focused. But, but, but back in the day, there was only one prophet or maybe a company of prophets. And if they got any prophecy wrong, they were murdered. So they, they, they had to hear God pretty good. And, 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 and if your word gets tested publicly, you're probably going to test your word a little bit before. 
Okay, so here's what I did, all right? I'm, 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 I have issues, right? <laughs> have you ever been on a Christian forum online? Have you ever done that? Like, don't go. That is the greatest group of kooks in the world. And so I just decided, I was on this Christian forum, and I just decided to start replying to people. And there was this one that was like, you know, what do people believe is true but isn't really in the Bible? And they started listing them. And I'm just like, well, you know, it's my day off. I got a couple master's degrees in this subject right here. And I just started replying with Bible verses. Actually, that's in Isaiah. Actually, Jesus himself said this. Actually, Paul taught this explicitly over three chapters. Actually, I can break down the Greek for you why this is wrong. Actually, this is a false theology. Actually, this was, dis- this was disproven in the fourth century. Like, and I'm just, my wife's like, why do you do this? I'm like, everybody needs a hobby. Everybody needs a hobby. You know, it doesn't cost me anything, makes me feel good about myself. Everybody needs a hobby. I'm just like, no, actually, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I guess this is in the Bible. But my Bible, he actually clearly said it right here. But Isaiah is the prophet for Israel. And here's what God said to Isaiah in in chapter 55. He says, for my thoughts, Isaiah, in case you didn't recognize it, Isaiah 55, 8, if you could throw that up for me. Anybody who's over there, Isaiah 55, 8. He says, for my thoughts, Isaiah, are actually not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. And then he puts a little, declares the Lord. Just in case you're confused about who's talking to you. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's two things God is communicating here. God is communicating like, guess what? I don't care how close you are to me, you aren't God. You actually aren't God. That's the first thing he's he's communicating to Isaiah. The second thing he's communicating is that your thoughts and your actions are intricately interwoven. Your thoughts and your ways are inextricably linked. That to change our ways requires us to change our thoughts. And sometimes in order to change your thoughts, you got to start changing your ways. You can't be one thing and think you're another thing. You got to be what you are. Amen. Amen. Come on. We're going to clap, clap. Amen. God knows what he's talking about. And here's what happens. We hear that word and we say, okay, I'm going to change myself and here's how I will change. And even that is a deception. In our carnality, we think that we can decide how we can think to change our ways. When it's your thoughts that got you into this mess. And so you think my thoughts will get me out of this mess. If your thoughts could get you out of this mess, you already would have gotten yourself out of the mess. Because we think that we are self-made and we can do this thing on our own. And then we're disappointed why we can't. And let me help you out. It's because we are created to need one another. Human thoughts create human ways. You can work as hard as you want. You can, you can do all the right stuff. And it still will lead you to the wrong place. Paul called this the works of the flesh. We, we see this in the Tower of Babel, which is really should be called the Tower of Babylon. They, it's funny how they mistranslate that there, but it's a, it's a tower thinking that we ourselves can build something that will get me to where God has me. It doesn't work. It causes confusion. It causes people to compete with one another. This isn't the way of God. These are the works of the flesh. And in Galatians 5, Paul wrote that the ways of the flesh, 
human ways of doing things are opposed to the Spirit of God. Not, not only don't help, it actually works against it. Galatians 5.22, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I want you to maybe write down in your notes this passage, and I want you to meditate on that a little bit, because the fruit of the Spirit is never popularity or wealth. The fruit of the Spirit is never that everybody thinks you're right. The fruit of the Spirit is never that everybody thinks you're amazing. The fruit of the Spirit is never that you're going to have more power. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. That is a work of the flesh. And if we at Revival Life Church, and we are, we are, we are plowing ground. God has us in one of the richest cities in the country preaching a gospel that says your wealth means nothing. Why here? Why not Pompano? Why not somewhere broke? Why would you not send us somewhere where people are like, amen, right? Like, yes, this is what I need to hear. I'm broke exactly where God wants me, yes. But God's got us in Boca with a message that says, I don't care how successful you are. I don't care how much you work. I don't care how your business looks or how everybody idolizes you because your wife gets to stay home. It means nothing. It means nothing. Every core desire we have is summed up in the fruit of the Spirit. The you, the you God created you to be. The you that would really enable you to lay in bed at night and go right to sleep and stay asleep and wake up happy. The you that God thought of before He formed you in the womb can be found in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gosh, how many of you would just die for three faithful friends? Gentleness, like, man, I'm hurting. Can you just be nice to me? Self-control. I don't want to hurt the people who love me anymore. This is all found in the Spirit. This is the you that God has called you to be. And you can't do it without the Spirit of God. We can't rightly see the way forward because we're stuck in the forest of this life. We're dropped onto this planet in the midst of a culture that already has systems in place to funnel you into a clique, to worship and idolize certain things that only the world can produce. We can't rightly see how to get to where God has us because of this forest of the world's ways all around us. And let me say, this is scary. This is scary. Maybe you're at a place now where you've learned to navigate it, but man, do you remember middle school? Where you've realized that, man, there are cliques and some are more popular than others and some are more powerful than others. How do I create a place of safety for myself in this world? Do you, you remember that feeling? Do you remember going into a new group, a new environment and trying to figure out who the power people are so that you can create a place of safety? This is the world we're all born into. And the media tries to tell us that this is a, it's a generational problem. Have you, heard, have you heard like the millennials ruined everything? If you read the news, like 
anything is a millennial problem? Have you wondered why they blame the millennials for everything? Because there's a lot of people who read news who think everything is the millennial problems, and that gets clicks. It's not because any of it's true. It's because somebody is making money off of that narrative. They just, it, they, and they don't care if they destroy our society to get just that extra two-cent click. Two cents at a time. They're becoming billionaires off of us hating one another. This isn't a millennial problem. And, and, and let me help you out. It's not a boomer problem. It's definitely not a Generation X problem because we, we're, the, we're the good ones. Like we, we're, you know, it's not a generational problem. This problem goes back to the garden. This problem has been around since the beginning of time. Just like the enemy has been around from the beginning of time. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is, um, he's traveling and he's, um, he's in Greece and he's at the, he winds up at the center of where all the big thinkers are. Like we have rock stars today and, and music stars and influencers. Back in the day, philosophers were like the rock stars of their day. These people who could put together a narrative, who could make you think, who could, you would, they would gather large crowds. So the fact that Jesus had large crowds following him just meant like he was one of the hottest groups out at the time. Does, does that make sense? Because people naturally, just the, like today, if you saw somebody talking and 100 people around them, you'd be like, okay, this is weird, what's happening? But, but back then, it would be like going to a concert. Like, it's just what, it's what you did. And kind of the, the, the Nashville of that or the, or, or the L.A. of that or the New York of that was, was in Greece, where all the, 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 like, if you were really somebody, you could get to Greece and you would be a philosopher in Athens. That's where, like, the... the then now you're playing with the big boys, right? Now, now, you're, now you're out there making a name for yourself. And Paul is there, and um, it, says, it says Paul was in the midst of this area in Athens. Paul was there, of course. He was waiting for uh, Timothy and Silas to show up, and Paul figures, you know, since I'm here in Athens and all these people think they know something, I, I might as well, you know, tell them a little something-something myself, you know. I got a little something to share, right? And, and, so, and so in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, uh, it, it, it says um, he was there and, and there's idols and, and there's philosophers and there's these people debating. And it says in verse 16, watch this. It says, uh, put it up if you would. Uh, verse 16, it says, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. While Paul was waiting for them, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Now, I want to challenge you as you read this scripture, we think of it through our lens that um, it was filled with like maybe statues that people were worshiping. Um, and we're like, you know, I've talked to people who've gone to Vatican City, which is the head of the Roman Catholic Church, and there's statues of saints there. And people are like, oh, I just, you know, just idols everywhere. And I'm like, eh, it's kind of like their family photo album. Right. When you when we look at well, it's easy for us to judge other faiths that we don't understand. And, and Catholics, um, they believe like the saints, like when you die, we should probably honor you if you did something for the Lord. And uh, so they have statues all over the place of the people who went before them and, and they honor them. Now, if you're worshiping them, that's a problem. But you don't see that as much. You see them honoring the apostles and the saints who went before them. So it was it's common in Greek culture and in Roman culture to have statues 
Um, but there was idols there. And these idols were bothering Paul's spirit, right? So that tells me, I doubt that Paul was worried about marble and clay. These were heart conditions he's talking about. People were idolizing things. And it provoked his spirit. Why would this provoke his spirit? Because he knows there's something far more rewarding to worship. I want us to reframe our lens. Paul was not angry with the idolaters. Paul was grieved in his spirit that he finally met the real God. And these people were worshiping something that would never give them the fruit of the spirit. This was compassion that provoked him. He wasn't, he wasn't there to swing a bat and break idols. He was there to let these people see like, man, your, your inner man is longing for this truth. And I'm, and I'm here to tell Boca Raton in South Florida today, your spirit man is longing for something deeper than money. Is longing for something more than popularity or beauty. Your spirit man is longing for something even more than a spouse. Your spirit man is longing for the fruit of the Spirit and living in a world that looks like Jesus. And so Paul, he was, he, was, he was preaching, the Bible says, he went into their synagogue, he preached to the Jews, and he preached to Gentiles who also believed, even though they hadn't converted. It says to believing Gentiles. And in verse 18, it says that he started debating with the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. Now, give me a second here. Keep your brain engaged for a second, okay? Can you do that for me? Okay, so it says the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans and the Stoics were the two major groups of philosophers in that day, and basically they are today as well, though the Stoics are far more uh, read and studied today. Now, the Epicureans was a school of philosophy that centered on pleasure, but not hedonistic pleasure, not like you know, wild sex and you know, eat till you vomit. Right? It was, it, this pleasure they were talking about uh, was, was enjoying life, to be able to live a life of tranquility, free of pain or disturbing passions, or superstitious fears, especially superstitious fears about death. So, so they're, 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 that's, what the, that's what the Epicureans. And, and the Stoics, the Stoic philosophers were like um, uh, Marcus Aurelius and uh, Epicletus. Marcus Aurelius was, a, was an emperor of Rome, and Epicletus was a, was a slave. They're both very famous Stoic philosophers. Stoicism was, was characterized by a conviction that the universe has a rational structure. Everything happens for a reason, and real virtue requires just you to accept what happens. You cannot get upset about things you can't control. You only concern yourself with the things that you can control, and the thing you can control is how you react to the world around you. And so, so true virtue requires us just to accept everything that happens. The virtuous person lives accordance with reason and shapes the universe and gains contentment by attitude of indifference to the external things and the evil in the world. What does that mean? What does that mean? It, it, means, it means the Epicureans are saying, I, I, I'm not going to be involved in anything that robs my peace. Nobody knows what happens after death, so I'm not even going to think about it. Is there a debate about politics? I'm not going to be out of my peace, so I'm not going to get involved in politics. Are there problems over here? I, that's going to rob me of my peace, so I'm not going to be there. What happens after death? I don't know. Since I can't know, ah, I'm just not going to think about it. They're running from any kind of fear. They're isolating themselves, and we probably know some people like that. I'm just not talking about that. I just, I'm just not talking about that. That doesn't solve the problem. 
The Stoics were different. The the Stoics say, hey, I'm going to accept everything that happens to me because the only thing I can control is how I react. And so they would say, everyone is going to die, so I just need to get over it. I can't do anything about it. All I can do is control how I think about it. Are you following me here? Into this, Paul steps in. And Paul says, I see you guys are religious in, in, in so many ways. And, 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 and you even worship the unknown God. You want to cover all your bases. He says, hey, guess what? I actually know the unknown God. Because they both believe no one could see beyond this realm. It's all about what you can think on your own. Works of the flesh. Paul says, hey, actually, I, I know this unknown God. And... um." You can't think of God as something that you can think up, a philosophy that you can create, something that you can create with your hands and and look at and say, this is the model life. This is not who the unknown God is. And he says, hey, not for nothing, I know your theologies and death is coming and you better take it seriously. He says in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 30, he says, Put it up, please. God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, verse 31, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Wow, why is this, why is this so radical and why are we talking about this today? Paul is telling them, hey, 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 there is a God who is real, I have met him, and he reigns from the other side of death. I know that you have completely dismissed death because either you can't control it or you don't want to be worried about it, but I know a God who has actually been dead and is alive and now is on the other side of death who still is leading me in this life. I don't have to fear that death because I have met the one who has conquered death. What does that look like? What, 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 what does this look like to worship a God living on the other side of death? It looks like, it looks like, it looks like when you're in an argument in your marriage, you stop and you say, okay, we got to get out of this conflict right now and work on the conflict before we work in the conflict. I know we're fighting right now, and it seems like we're not getting anywhere, possibly because we're looking at things completely differently. Let's work on the disagreement before we get back in the disagreement. We need to step outside of the argument to gain a better perspective and understanding of what we're doing and what we're working on. Does that make sense? I know we all have been in an argument with someone for a very long time and found out at the end, oh, you... Oh, we're not even talking about the same thing. Oh, oh. We could have saved some time understanding one another's perspective. We argue about things not realizing the person we're arguing with has a completely different view of the situation we do. We need a doctor outside of our soul to come speak to the issues of our soul so we can have our soul healed. We're sitting inside of our internal conflict thinking that we can solve it. When we need someone outside to come in and say, let me help you reframe what you are experiencing. 
who can give us a perspective of our world that's not shaped by conservatives or liberals, but is shaped by an entirely different perspective. And, and let me tell you, we need help navigating this. Is, this. is this landing anywhere? Is this making sense? Yeah, 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 amen. amen. If one class, we all clap. Psalm 66 tells a story. We talked about it before worship for those of you who love Jesus enough to show up to church on time. We talked about, um, that's a joke, please. Just laugh for me. Just, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, but seriously. Um, Psalm 66, the psalmist tells his story. And you could be offended if you don't know God. In the story, he says, it, 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 the, the psalm kind of goes like this. He says, he says, come and see the God who does miracles. He brought us out of bondage. He kept our feet from slipping. He's God over everything. But He's also the God who has tested us. Uh, he's the God who let us walk into the net, into the trap. Uh, and I was tested. And while I was being tested, I made a promise to God. And I fulfilled my end of the promise. And then He says this, verse 16. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what He has done for my soul. Psalm 66, 16, write it down, check it out later. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. Can you tell of what God has done for your soul? Do you have a testimony of what God has done for your soul? We, we, we live in a society, and I love the church. You hear me say this all the time, but I, I just want to ah, tweak the church a little bit. If I wish I could. We have a church that's promising you everything except for soul care. The thing that God is most concerned on. We're going to teach you how to have a, more money and look more beautiful and stay young and be popular and you're going to be the apostle of Africa. I don't know how many apostles Africa needs, but I just heard more people promise to be the prophet over Asia or given a country. And How offended would you be if someone was told they're going to be the prophet of your country or the apostle of your country? Like, we got Christians here already, right? Like, maybe... Anyways, anyways, you don't know what I'm talking about. Just consider yourself blessed. But this is what we all want. We want God to transform our soul. We need far more than your financial breakthrough. And I pray you get your financial breakthrough. Ha. More need than, than, than your relational breakthrough. And I pray you get your relational breakthrough. But more than any of those things, your health breakthrough. And I pray you get your health breakthrough. But more than any of that, we need God to transform our soul. I mean, I don't know. We need love. We, know, we need joy. We need peace. We need kindness. We need goodness. We need faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that's what God is after. He's after our heart. It sounds trite. It sounds cliche, but it's true. We need God living in our, in our hearts. Proverbs 3 tells us, trust the Lord with your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This was the challenge that Jesus had with the world. The conservatives wanted to keep everything the way it was, and the liberals wanted to throw away everything, have a war, and change everything. But Jesus was talking about a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus was never talking about, let's make earth a little bit better. He's talking about a new heaven and a new earth. Everyone was suffering and wanted Jesus to stop it the way that they thought was right. 
And they were mad that Jesus was not addressing what they wanted Jesus to address. But nobody, <laughs> read the Bible. I could just stop there, but read the Bible and look at the interactions of the, of the disciples with Jesus. Nobody stops and asks Jesus, hey, can you explain to us what we're getting wrong? We keep saying things and you keep saying we don't get it. Can you tell us what paradigm we're operating in and what paradigm we should be operating in so that we stop getting it wrong? They could not get out of the argument to work on the argument. They kept holding to their worldview, expecting Jesus to do what they thought Jesus should do. And it wasn't until the end that they finally realized that they were getting it wrong. But everyone, everyone was suffering and had an idea of what Jesus should do to fix it. And Jesus didn't follow any of their plans. How often do we ask Jesus, I, I'm in a struggle right now. How am I looking at the world wrong? How am I looking at what you're doing wrong? I know you're with me. Can you explain to me how I should be looking at my situation to bring peace to my soul? Help me understand what I can't see that's happening right now. Like the psalmist, we need a transformation of the soul. But how, how can we do it? How can we allow the divine to transform our soul? Everybody's got like three steps to this and everybody has got a, a formula and all of it's just works of the flesh. Just need to pray more. Just need to read the Bible more. Need to worship more. You need to... No, 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 no. If you could do it, you already would. In his farewell discourse, again, this is Jesus like leaving directions. Like after I die, do this. He's given them instructions and this is what we read today. As part of his farewell discourse, John 14. Let me get the band to come up, if you would, please. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, he says, If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come for you. We live in really, really ugly times as a church. Study after study says that people increasingly do not trust organized religion. That's a fact. That's the world we're living in. Amen? People don't trust organized religion because they have just seen the ugly parts of it. What, is, what, is, what does that mean? I'm like, good, don't. Jesus' plan was that we would all follow the Holy Ghost. Jesus' plan, as he just laid out right here, is that we would not follow great man-made plans, but we would all be filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus said he had a clear plan that we were to follow. He said, do what I told you to do. Choose the fruit of the Spirit in every circumstance. And if you do that, He will send the Spirit to help us navigate this world. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So we better choose what the Spirit brings so we can get the Spirit that He sent 
to help us. What does that mean? In every situation, choose humility. Choose love. Choose kindness. In the face of opposition, choose not to gossip. Choose to believe the best in people around you. The end of April was kind of crazy for me. I mean, it was really, really crazy for me. Um, as many of you know, I had dealt with some health issues in the past. I was missed a Sunday. I was in the hospital. And uh, had a couple flare-ups since then. And uh, So keep me in prayer if you would. And I had this, this, this begin to flare-up again. And I'm, I kind of got this anxiety in the back of my head. Like, oh, no, not again. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, oh, no. Like, I don't want to be in the hospital, right? Oh, no, not again. And in the midst of that, my, my mom... Um, has been fighting cancer. And she went through six rounds of chemo and blessed the Lord, you know, the, the, the cancer is gone. I'm super happy about that, but amen. Thank you, Jesus. But my wife's, um, my father-in-law, um, he passed before I got to meet him. He had cancer and the cancer didn't kill him, but the chemo did. And so my mom, my mom, you know, she's not young because I'm not young, so she's less young. And uh, her heart, her heart got super weak because of the, because of the chemo. And, uh, and so she was in the hospital. Her lungs kept filling up with fluid. And, you know, I'm not ready for my mom to pass, as, as none of us should be. Um, and so I had this health issue. My mom is in the hospital. And, um, and at the same time, it was the week of the baptism. Remember the baptism? And uh, I was trying to finish that teaching on baptism. And so I was trying to focus on that, but I had these health issues. I had my mom in the hospital, um, trying to get the baptism stuff together. Mike Rentler was a great help, but it, the world was kind of was kind of was kind of crazy. And and so I um, I had to get a hold of my doctors, and not all doctors are good, right? And so so I was having to run around. They're like, "Well, if you're that bad, go ahead to the hospital." I'm like, "I don't want to go to the hospital. I just want to see my my doc. Can you just just act like you care? Just do. I know you don't, but if you could just act like you care, that would be so helpful to me." That would really minister to my soul. And so um, they said, you know, hey, if things don't get better, um, they set up an appointment for me on uh, the first Monday of May. And so I'm like, okay, I'll come in if I don't. And then I look on the first Monday of May, and that's the day that my wife was supposed to go into the hospital to get surgery. And I'm like, man, like, I got stuff going on. This isn't good. And so I'm visiting my mom on that Saturday, and uh, I'm not a natural caretaker. And uh, I'm visiting my mom in the hospital. My sisters are both registered nurses. Bless the lamb. They took care of her a lot. Uh, I didn't have to. And so, um, but I'm there with my mom in the hospital. And she's super weak. Her lungs are filled with fluid. And, um, and it's like, anybody got some unresolved mom issues? You know, like, I'd like to resolve those before I can't resolve them, right? And so, uh, and so I know now's not the time. Like, hey, I know you're dying, but let me share some of my pain with you. You know, no. Right? But, I'm, but I'm sitting in the hospital, and uh, I'm, I'm feeding my mom pudding on a, on a plastic thing. And I've, I've never been my mother's caretaker. And, and, I'm, and I'm sitting there um, feeding my mom pudding. I'm having some health issues. My, mom, my wife's going in the hospital in two days. Things are a little crazy at church. And I'm like, just, I'm, I'm sitting there like, and this was like, I had to purposefully choose to be a caretaker in this situation. And um, I started getting better, but my mom started getting worse. And that Monday morning, you know, I was, I was not looking forward to. And so I was sitting there in the hospital, and uh, I was feeding my mom pudding. She had a couple bites, and she fell asleep. And I just, I just stood there, and I was like, 
God. Like, God, what, what in the world, man? Like, what's, I feel like I'm being torn in 15 directions right now. This is, what, what, what's, what's going on? And I, just as you hear my voice right now, I heard the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost said to me, I got you. I got you. And then he said, you got this. And just this peace came over me. Like, I, I can't explain it to you. I, 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 wish I, could, I wish I could can it and, 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 and hand it out for free. But at that moment, my heart just became still. And I was able, instead of to be 15 places at once, I was able to just be the son my mom needed in a hospital room, letting her know she's loved. And so that Monday morning, I drove my wife to the hospital, and uh, I went upstairs, visited my mom in the hospital, and they called me and said, hey, are you uh, going to be able to come to the hospital soon to pick up your wife? I'm like, I'm two stories above you. I'll be down in a moment. And I'm in a hospital with people in total, total, total chaos. Their lives are torn because they don't know what's, what's beyond the veil. But I was able to go to the unknown God. 1 Peter 3 talks about suffering for doing what's right. There's voluntary suffering and involuntary suffering. And I could have checked out like the Epicureans and just said, this is too painful for me. I'm not going to deal with it. Sorry, Mom. I'm not, you know, that's going to rob you of my peace. I could have said, well, there's nothing I could do about any of this, like the Stoics, and just said, well, you know, nothing I could do about it. I just need to worry about my own heart. But instead, I went to the God of the unknown to the Greeks, Jesus of Nazareth. And I was like, what? You let me know. On the other side, what is it? And he spoke to me. I got you. I got you. Amen. I got the call to pick up my wife from post-op, and she's now recovering. Praise the Lamb. Stand with me if you would. If I, yeah, amen, 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 amen. And my mom is home now, recovering. But I say all that to say this. Jesus spoke to his disciples knowing that they were going to suffer just like he was going to suffer in this farewell discourse. He spoke to them knowing that times of struggle were coming. He spoke to them knowing that he was going to be murdered and they weren't going to know what was going to happen to him. And now, you may not suffer like Jesus suffered and you may not suffer like the apostles suffered, but in this life there are many trials. And Jesus said, there is a way. There is a way that you may not know what is coming, you may not know what the ultimate outcome is, but I am on the other side of death. And from this side of death, I'm going to send my spirit upon you. And I will send my spirit and he will teach you everything you need to know so you can bear the fruit of the spirit in the midst of your struggles. Though you may be fearful of death, I'm on the other side of death saying there is a place for you. Though you may want to engage in the argument, 
I am on the other side of death saying, there's tranquility for you. I'm sending my spirit to give you peace in the midst of the storm. Though you think I cannot handle this problem, I cannot make it through this struggle, Jesus said, I will send my Holy Ghost that will give you courage and boldness and fortitude that you say, though yet they slay me, yet I will still worship. Just pray in the Spirit. Listen, Pentecost Sunday is coming. And I pray that you would pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You might be going through something right now. Come on, come on, come on. You may be going through something right now. You may be going through something right now. God knows. Let me tell you, God knows. God knows. He has answers from the other side of death. But they come by submitting to God and receiving the Holy Ghost. Because He's going to speak wisdom that don't make sense to you because your ways are not His ways. And His thoughts are not your thoughts. He has a big picture of what is happening because he's standing outside of your conflict, understanding what's going on inside your conflict. And he has a way of reframing your conflict so that God can be glorified at the end of your conflict. You say amen. You may feel like that they set a trap for you, like the psalmist said. They set a net to test you. But God, I wish I could just jump inside of your soul right now and prophesy and say, one day you're going to look back on this trial and you will say, come see what God has done for my soul. Come see what God has done for my soul. He says, after a little while, you will not see me. The world won't see me. But I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You tell the devil he's a lie when he says you're alone in the midst of this thing. The world will not see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you. In that day, you will know I am in my Father, and in that day, you will know that you are in me. Go back and study at Acts chapter, I mean, excuse me, John chapter 14. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Right now, you might feel like He is so far away. Like your problems are here, and God is over there playing pickleball or something. You're like, God, do you see what's going on? And he said, you do not see me, but if you obey my commandments, I will send my spirit and that will open the veil and you will see, I have not separated from you, but you are inside of me and I am inside of you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and disclose myself to him.